everybody. I hope you're staying safe and well wherever you are. My name is Gordon Bragg, and thank you so much for listening to what is essentially an experiment, this being the first ever SEO podcast. I am delighted to be joined today by one of the most outstanding, versatile, and sought-after musicians around, and a regular collaborator with the SEO over the last few seasons. It is cellist and conductor Nicholas Altschett. As a soloist, conductor and artistic director, Nicholas's repertoire is ferociously wide, spanning early music to contemporary. In addition to his two positions of artistic director of the Haydn Philharmonie in Esterhazy and artistic director of the Lockenhaus Chamber Music Festival, Nicholas was, for the 2019-20 season, artist in residence at the SWR Symphony Orchestra under Theodor Kurensis and artist in focus at the Alte Oper Frankfurt. In this discussion, we talked, amongst other things, about his collaborations with the SEO, his journey into conducting and being able to perform Haydn in Haydn's own hall. We were also really happy to receive questions from pupils at St Mary's Music School in Edinburgh, and quite a few of the questions that were sent in were ones I also wanted to ask, so we were obviously on the same wavelength there. Apart from keeping safe, I hope on behalf of the orchestra to be able to share our music with you all soon, and I hope you enjoy this discussion with someone who isn't just a wonderful musician, but a really generous, engaging, and thoughtful guy to talk to. Great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I suppose the first question is, how how are you doing, and how have the last few months been for you? Um, you are in Berlin at the moment. Is that right? Yes, I'm at home. I got back here last night. Um, oh, it will sound quite strange, but I uh, I actually enjoyed the time very much um, the last few months because there was such a change in life and have some time to reflect and go into yourself and ask questions about what you want to do in life, about society politics, anything. And um, in Germany, we have concerts going on. I have uh, a festival and um, an orchestra in Austria. Everything was going ahead. So things were quite busy. It was not as crazy as it usually is. So I could breathe a little bit more, but I was, I had still a driving engine and I could do things. I could perform. So I just got back uh, from France last night we um, did actually a recording with a Catriore band we wanted to do since four years and that had always been cancelled for several reasons and we didn't have the time in the schedule to make it happen it was a six touch recording of Transfigured Night and um, some other music and uh, so we said this is the time to do it and um, Normally, you don't have the time to take uh, two weeks off to work on something. We work on something. Again, we have been playing these pieces, touring with it, but we said, let's meet, let's rehearse in all tranquility and uh, focus, record, have a few days of a break, rehearse again, record again, and spend two weeks together. So we just did that, and it felt like the right thing to do. Sometimes when there's a normal crazy schedule going ahead, you have the impression you don't take enough time to do the things 
as they should be in an ideal world. So we try to make the best out of the conditions right now. I wonder because you you were, I think, a BBC New Generation artist around about 2010. Mm-hmm. So that's a sort of 10-year span from then to now. Yeah. And I can imagine that from that time on, your diary would have been crazy busy and you would have probably for 10 years, I can imagine you have been sort of catapulted out of a cannon around the world doing so many different things. I, I wonder, did a sudden gear change like that we've all experienced, was it a shock to you? Did, did you sort of, did you feel sort of different inside in, in a way or actually, as you said, was it, was it a more a, a welcome thing for you to, to sort of just suddenly stop, even if it wasn't due to your decision? Um, I have to say it was at a quite lucky moment because um, at the beginning of the year I played many, many, many concerts from January to mid-March. And then I played the last concert actually in New York mid-March and got uh, back here before lockdowns uh, started. And then... Uh, Anyway, it felt like I need a break. I need uh, some time off anyways. And I was very naive because I thought, okay, I'm supposed to be in Italy now, so probably two weeks, no concerts. And some people were saying, oh, it might take some time until May. And then I thought, oh, some crazy people are talking already about autumn, but that's probably not going to happen. And then I had basically second uh, half of March, off in April, and in May things started uh, to continue a little bit. And as I do a lot of things, because I'm curious, I have to do many things for the first time, uh, lots of pieces for the first time. And I have to say, I quite enjoyed um, the time to go into the nature. I, uh, at the beginning, I, I thought, if there's a lockdown, I want to go out as much as possible. So the first two, three weeks, I was basically out the whole day, going to the lake, to the forest, and um, and just enjoying uh, the momentum. And then I I got quite, uh, I don't, don't want to say stressed, but then I thought, if all these concerts that are coming up are going ahead, then I better start uh, working and, and studying. So I enjoyed to do that being here at home and not traveling and doing that in between other concerts. So um, it has been... Yeah, quite uh, inspiring to to be at home and and learn things again as I did it as a student. Because I mean, you you might remember if when we were students and we didn't play concerts, and then there was maybe a concert in a month or something. We thought like, wow, that's very very soon, and we have to really get ready for that. And uh, when you start playing a lot, then you always think of next week or of tomorrow after tomorrow, and in between there is a flight. And now I'm thinking always three, four months ahead and think, okay, I, I should better get uh, in shape and, and or get something to know better than, than now. And I like it because it's a long-term um, connection with music, with what we love. And um, But lucky to be here in, in uh, Germany and Austria and, and doing these things and also to play an instrument, I think, for uh, full-time conductors in the US or in the UK. Um, I have friends who have no concerts until the end of the year and that is dramatic. So it it's varies very much also in the music world of what you can do. But I think we should make always the best of what, what we are given and um, I saw it like that. Yeah. I mean, speaking of conductors, of course, you are one yourself. And in June, we would have 
done, one of the things that unfortunately didn't go ahead was a, a program with you, where you were doing the first Sassons concerto, I think, and uh, it was also going to have the Jupiter Symphony. Mozart Jubilee, it was an incredibly brilliant program, but um, it would have seen us play in Musselburgh, Paisley, Castle Douglas, and Selkirk as part of our Highland touring. And yes, this is probably the first ever instance of uh, retrospective publicising of concerts that didn't actually go ahead anyway. Um, but I'm sure it would have been a wonderful week. Now, we know you as a conductor, cellist, and a collaborator, but I think you're conducting is quite a relatively recent thing and you you touched on it there about sort of uh, learning pieces that you hadn't done before and first of all I suppose my question is twofold first of all how did you did you get into conducting was it a a gradual process or did you say one day right I'm going to be a conductor and I suppose the second question which I'm always fascinated by is if you haven't conducted a piece before and you haven't conducted an orchestra before, so as you were probably a few years ago, what does it feel like to stand up in front of a bunch of musicians that you don't know conducting a piece that you've never conducted before? Um, is that something that has taken getting used to from your point of view or did you enjoy the sort of, the, the um, how would one say, like the blind date nature of that sort of thing? Okay, um, so it was basically a coincidence. I never planned to be a conductor. For me, it was always the cello. I started with cello when I was six years old, and that was always my passion, and that was my uh, communication with the music and how I got in touch with the music world. And um, and I got also very addicted to it, just uh, the, the physicality of it, to live every day with it, to, to tune it, to... To, to see how the instrument evolves, how it reacts, how you have to cope with weather changes, with different moods. And, and uh, I find it very fascinating to play a string instrument. And um, with my brother, we have always been reading scores when we were kids. So when we went on holidays, we always went to the school library and took some some um, some scores. I remember it was, it was Bruckner 7 and Brahms 4 were the first ones. And we were always listening to different recordings and reading the scores and, and, and telling each other what we thought was important. <laughs> so that was always there. And the world of conducting was always fascinating me. How, how can you communicate with people um, uh, by by shaping music and with whatever you have with you, your eyes, your expression, your breath, or your your movements. But I never planned doing that, and um, I was um, yeah, I was always in touch with people who have a kind of universal. Um, musical language I, I always admired very much colleagues I've been playing with uh, from whom I could learn that was Pekka Kuzisto with whom you have worked also a lot or Alexander Longquich a pianist who also conducts and somehow I always try to to be around and get inspired from from people that I really admire and then it um, somehow came up that that uh, a small orchestra started to ask oh maybe you want to do a play lead program because you do so much chamber music and played with so many people and then it started like that and then um, and the first thing that was actually the, the main coincidence um, that brought me there was uh, the Haydn Philharmonie in uh, Austria, uh, Hungary, the orchestra of Adam Fischer. Um, he had uh, conducted them for 30 years and then he, uh, he was, he's doing so much else, opera and, and millions of things. He's a brilliant wonderful uh, musician and conductor and um, then the orchestra came up and asked 
would you like to 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 continue his work and and take over and then i thought uh i was quite surprised and thought my god but then i thought hey this is a project orchestra uh, i can use the I can choose the repertoire. We basically do Haydn. They have been mostly doing the last Haydn symphonies in the recent years on tours. And I could start again with early Haydn symphonies. So I could start from the, from the ground and um, from the start of the symphony to, to get in touch with that. And for me, the, the most fascinating thing or what I thought as a chance is to get to know music and, and study music. For me, it's like going to school. And uh, then you have this incredible chance that not every conductor at the beginning of their studies uh, have. You have an instrument to do that. I mean, people study conducting and the only instrument they have is are the two pianos at the school and their colleagues who are playing at the piano. So I got very, very spoiled, basically, as, a, as someone who can't conduct and had, had never conducted um, to have an orchestra and then start with an orchestra to learn. That is like a very luxurious position. So you also... I um, I don't have so much um, experience with also the feedback how how th yeah, I have to learn it by doing and I don't get feedback from my colleagues or from teachers so I have to very much self reflect and listen to re uh, to uh, rehearsals listen to the concerts we are doing see what I'm doing wrong and if I play as a cellist I always watch my colleagues how they're managing how they cope with orchestras how they how they rehearse the rehearsal technique what where you do you insist, what you work on, when do you go in the hall, when do you let things go ahead and let the people just play, trust. And um, there's, it's such a complex and fascinating relationship between the uh, um, conductor and the musicians. And the more I do it, the more respect I get for the conductors I'm, I'm playing with. But um, yes, what you just mentioned, it's exactly the case. So everything I, I have been doing now as guest conducting um, is new repertoire. And um, so, for example, with, with uh, your orchestra, I, um, I, everything I conducted with you was, everything was for the first time. I remember the Beethoven Seventh Symphony we did like two, three years ago. That was the very first time I, I ever conducted the symphony. And I, when I came to the SCO, I was, um, very uh, starstruck by the orchestra and I, I had uh, heard so many recordings of you with uh, Robin Ticciati and McCarris and many other people and um, and while I was doing that I thought oh my god was that really a good idea to go in, in front of such a fantastic orchestra and do Beethoven 7 for the first time <laughs> and then there's so many things so I, I was I learned I prepared a lot I was uh, weeks and months before and and try to learn every chord in, in, in the score and, and analyze everything and make the structure and think about every phrase and every balance and every timbre and, and so many things. But once you get in front of the orchestra, you get so much information. And then there's also so much of what you didn't think you need to work on because you think, oh, this is all going to work. They know the piece 10 times better than you and you want to work on the things you prepare and then other problems appear and you think, oh, I have to work on these things. And there I'm very naive because I just work on these straight away or I just react to what I hear. I don't have really the experience of okay, this is the first rehearsal and this is how it worked the last 20 times, so I'm not going to insist on that. They will sort that out themselves. And, um, and actually, I remember because after this week, I kept rehearsing and rehearsing. And on the tour, we were um, 
at each hall we were um, checking the acoustics and, and doing a rehearsal there. So I always tried to go into the hall because I realized that I'm not very objective when I'm standing in front of the orchestra because you can't really judge what's happening in the hall. And then once I go into the hall, I realize, my God, all the tempos are much too fast and and um, we have to articulate very differently here to make everything audible and transparent and clear. And um, then after this week, I felt a little bit embarrassed and I thought, my God, I, I, really, I experienced this for the first time and, um, and, and was working on all these things. And you have been doing that probably 20 times with, uh, with other conductors. And, um, and then, no, I just, I'm just getting back to that, that, that point. So I... Um, I remember after the last rehearsal, before the last concert, you, you came to me and said, oh, thank you so much for the week. It was such a pleasure. And then I kind of apologized and said, like, uh, I feel quite embarrassed because it took me the whole week to, to work and, and still to discover things and, and rework on things. And then you replied and said, well, but that was actually quite nice because often... Um, you also get, you mentioned the the name, we get a shopping list. People come with a shopping list and tell you it works like bum, 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 bum. And, um, and we were quite uh, happy to have this process of discovering things together. And then the interesting um, experience, a week later, I did the Beethoven 7 again with a different orchestra. And I was much more comfortable because I have had a week with you and I knew already the problems that I have been causing, or maybe the hall has been causing, and so I could avoid many problems uh, in advance by being clearer or knowing how things work out. And um, but uh, but I don't know if that was actually I don't know if the orchestra played better because of that. Also psychologically, uh, your orchestra was so open and so. Um, we had such a good time and I was so happy to, that you were so open to go through this discovery and help and support me by what I was discovering. Yeah. And maybe that was a, also a good way. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think what you say is incredibly wise because I think, I mean, I, I don't know, but I perceive that a lot of conducting training, I mean, this sounds a bit bizarre, but I perceive a lot of conducting training and maybe in that whole sort of conducting competition world, it's all about the sort of one person giving stuff out and as as you just quite rightly said it's it's about receiving in real time it's about receiving from the orchestra as well and yeah. then with working with what you receive and I, I feel that you're so wise to actually pick up on that straight away in in terms of that week of the Beethoven 7, you, you don't need to be nice about the Beethoven 8 week because I wasn't playing in that one. So you can say whatever you like about that one. The, the Beethoven 7 week, I, I remember, was, was, I was very fascinated by, by that approach because I feel if you can feel as if the conductor is in the moment, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but in the moment and actually sort of giving obviously giving out you conduct the energy you know conduct the music in in the the sort of true sense of the word but but also if you're able to sort of able to receive what's coming at you and work with that i think you you instantly get the respect of of whoever you're you're in front of i'm, I'm absolutely sure actually brings us on to we have a few questions from saint mary's school of music in in edinburgh and you uh, gave some masterclasses there, I think, last year. And uh, they've been really kind in sort of handing in questions. And uh, we have a couple here from Alexander Boyd Bench. Um, and he sort of has also asked about the relationship between soloist, conductor and orchestra. Wondering, um, he says, 
do you prefer to convey your musical ideas to the orchestra directly or through a conductor? Uh, does this depend on the piece? And he says, well, I often wonder why some soloists, especially when playing with the SEO, choose to conduct the orchestra themselves. So I suppose as well as conducting, you take the conductor away sometimes in terms of when you do your concertos. Uh, for example, the Shostakovich concerto you did with us this year. I'm wondering how, how that came about. And yeah, do you find uh, it a different experience when the conductor isn't there? Yes, um, it's an interesting question. And uh, so the answer is, uh, there is no answer because every time is a different moment. Every time you play a piece uh, depends on what you do on the day, on the orchestra, on the conductor uh, who is there, and you always get different results. And you can't always explain why this is now better with a conductor or why it's better without a conductor. I... Um, for example, it depends also very much on the piece. I, of course, the first pieces I started to do without a conductor was the Haydn Concerto. Um, and then I came across that it's actually much better to do it without a conductor because if an orchestra has a lot of ideas and a lot of energy and a lot of drive, you can just have a great time uh, being in the moment with them rather than having another translator because the conductor always kind of has to or often translates um, what the uh, soloist does. So I came to the conclusion, oh, that is, um, that's the best thing and I only want to do Haydn concertos now without a conductor. But then recently, for example, um, the last two times I did it with a conductor, I uh, accepted the request because um, I respected very much and was keen to work with those conductors. And then I felt very, very happy. And I thought, hey, actually with them, it was much better than if I would have done it myself. So um, I enjoyed that also very much. So I can't really generalize and say it's better like that. Um, it also depends on the piece. I have uh, with one piece, actually, I, I think I really prefer to do it on my own is um, the Shostakovich Concerto, actually, because that works, I think, quite well, um, because it's such a small orchestra, and you mo it's written in a way that it's so much uh, one highway that can be driven by the orchestra and you just react to each other and you don't really need someone giving any beats because it's also very clear and minimalistic language. It's like a Mozart, Beethoven, or classic symphony. You don't need uh, someone to show things or make things complicated. And all the tricky places, uh, for example, in the last movement, when you have bar changes, um, they sometimes work straight ahead, uh, straight away with, um, with, uh, in the first rehearsal. And sometimes it didn't work with the conductor because sometimes people just listen to the first oboe or the concert master and then everything's together rather than someone showing some uh, bar changes and then it can be confusing. So yeah, some concertos I prefer to do uh, by my own without a conductor and sometimes I also appreciate working um, with the uh, conductors, especially with people from who are working with old uh, period uh, instruments and ensembles. So recently I did Haydn concerto with uh, Giovanni Antonini and I tremendously uh, enjoyed that. And actually I, I really preferred doing that with him than doing that on my own because I felt he doesn't conduct me or he doesn't conduct the orchestra, but he's just there and supports and brings out a fantastic energy and it makes it easier for me actually to play than on my own. I can 
just focus and be connected with him and through him with the orchestra. But that was, of course, special because it was his ensemble and they know him so well. So I don't know if it would have been with a different orchestra, for example. So you can't generalize every time it's really, really from scratch. And so I think you just have to be open-minded and, and be open for experiences. Yeah. I think from our point of view, to, to, uh, to answer Alexander's question in, in the SEO, um, I mean... I think as well there's a sort of slightly boring answer in terms of there are fewer of us and so there are fewer acoustical problems. I mean, you know, I, I played with another orchestra when you did the Elgar and the Dvorak concertos. I can't imagine you ever wanting to do them. Could you ever do them without a conductor? Actually, Dvorak I wouldn't do, I wouldn't dare, um, because Dvorak is already with a conductor extremely difficult yeah. and but Elga I have done and that uh, surprisingly works very well I I was quite scared and skeptical before and thought how is the second movement going to work the winds are they going to hear any of the sotigi I'm doing and then we did a week later the Schumann concerto that we also have done and the Elgar turned out to be easier than the Schumann concerto for example mm -hmm. so Elgar worked and I would do Algar again actually it's it's um, it was quite something I actually enjoyed that very much Dvorak I, I wouldn't I wouldn't touch and I think everything is possible at some point if you have enough rehearsals and if you get together and I mean orchestras like Spira Mirabilis they, they do these projects where they do symphonies big symphonies without conductors so I think it is it is possible and I'm sure the, the Dvorak will be done at some point also with our conductor and everything will happen. Uh, you already touched on at the beginning that you're, you're a very sort of curious artistic spirit and you, um, you, in this age of sort of hyper-specialism, you seem to be a sort of specialist in, in music, if you like. Um, we have a question from Leila Ballard Cooper, who's also at um, St. Mary's School of Music. So you, you have performed a, a vast range of repertoire from Baroque to 21st century. Is there a particular genre of music that you enjoy playing the most? No, I can't really say that. I mean, I really... I experience every week whatever I'm doing. I think, oh, this is the right thing now to do. And the next week I do something completely else. I feel, oh, this is what I want to do all the time. I enjoy very much playing, um, or in the recent month, what did I enjoy so much? Playing the Walton Concerto, playing Esa Pekka Salon Concerto, uh, Bloch, Shelomo, so large-scale scale things. I, uh, that's very, very rewarding. And then, then you play Baroque music with some Baroque ensemble, and I was just telling a friend of mine and said like every time I do a Carl Philipp Manuel Bach concerto or a Haydn concerto in with an ensemble that works together since a long time with old instruments that feels the real deal or the right thing to do or to play with a fantastic harpsichord player I think it's it always depends also with whom you are who is surrounding you um, and I try always to surround myself with people I admire and I learn from I think that's the best way you can do music and you learn much more from your colleagues than from a teacher and so when I play chamber music like now with the Katrina band that was two weeks of incredible inspiration incredible musicians uh, who play jazz play the piano improvise and just watching them, what they're doing is, is, is like a vitamin injection for me. And then I think there's nothing better um, I can do than that. And then 
did for the first time the last two years seasons by Haydn and and creation by Haydn and then that was maybe I had my strongest emotions with those two pieces and I thought wow doing a oratorium like that late Haydn is like the best you can ever do and then someone writes a new piece for you and and you you are the first one to discover it and there are new sound worlds and think this is the best thing it's contemporary music created right now no museum life and um and you learn and you're working with a composer so i find myself in very different situations and find them very inspiring and i i i need that i think yeah yeah i think as well i was thinking back to i mean I'm so I'm in my mid 30s and I was studying now about eight I started at music college about 18 years ago and I was thinking my goodness me that's the the, the way even in which I was taking in music then is so different to now and um, it feels like such a different world in that even then if I wanted to, or needed to go and listen to some music I would have to go to a I would physically have to go to a library take the CD put it in and and listen to it and now it's almost as if you that to be a specialist you you're sort of going against what the natural way of sort of having music in your life is that that you can I could go to YouTube and get about 20 recordings of every single piece straight straight there I I think somehow we uh, we need to reflect the best of that somehow in the way that we do music and that, that we that we have that at our disposal to sort of somehow take on board and i wonder just in terms of this sort of slightly broad topic of being a 21st century musician and and what that means and you're the artistic director of the Haydn Philharmonie and i would love you to talk about where the Haydn Philharmonie do their concerts because it's absolutely amazing um and you talked a bit about adam fisher before uh and he set it up i think around about 1987 or so um what does the role of artistic director mean in an organization like that and is it a is it an organization of course with one foot in the past and um, that you feel also you can sort of be that 21st music uh, 21st century musician with um yeah so the idea of the orchestra was uh, in 1987 when there was still the iron curtain in the wall um Adam Fischer I think he thought we have uh two Esterhazy palaces in Fertürth and in uh Esterhazy Eisenstadt in Austria and in uh, Hungary and um that are separated through the iron curtain and I think it's um the idea is to bring musicians together who were living who are living in this area and at that time of Haydn people all over the world were playing in in Esterhazy there was many different nationalities there and in his music you hear Croatian folk songs you hear Hungarian influences you hear so many things and for him it was important like what Barenboim does with the West Divan Orchestra now to have at that time people from separated countries and to bring them together uh, with music through through Haydn and um so that was his idea and that uh, basically uh, we have been maintaining um until now though things of course now are completely different and it's not 1987 anymore and people can travel and 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 exchange and what is quite spectacular about it is the hall basically so the hall um where Haydn has been working for more than 30 years um of his life and writing 
so many important works before he went to London uh, is still in the same shape and, and uh, condition as in 1760, 1780. And that is quite extraordinary to see. Also the city, Eisenstadt, he, there is the house where he has been living and working, the church where he's buried, and then also the apartment in, in Vienna where he has lived when he came back from London. You have all these places. And just to see his working conditions, someone being in the 18th century and just talking about 21st century, uh, no inspiration from outside, from uh, if it's internet or traveling or, and then you think, wow, he has never probably seen a whale uh, in, in his life uh, before. And he writes the music like no one else. And you, you see whales and birds and eagles and everything that is out there in nature and he doesn't have the possibilities of nowadays but is so much more creative and has so much more dimensions and horizons than we ever have with all what surrounds us and all what all the possibilities we have so to see him in this little village and uh, being there for 30 years and creating the most incredible uh uh, music and um, that is laying the fundaments uh, for our society and for our music until now, that is quite incredible. And also being in the hall um, that still has the same acoustic, I suppose. I mean, nothing has changed. Even the wooden floor where you walk in is the same uh, as in the 18th century. And um, to be in the hall where he has worked every day and where he has rehearsed and and uh, composed with that acoustic to be there is that is quite quite special and it's very very inspiring and I mean I will never probably I mean our goal is of course to get into his work as as much as possible and and we I try to bring lots of twenty and twenty first century music there like next week we are going to perform. A new cello concerto by uh, Fazal Sai, um, who has just written a concerto for me, and we uh, combined with the Rock Salam uh, Symphony Number no. Sixty Three that has this uh, movement with um, Oriental background, Oriental history. So I try to make programs who are somehow linked to each other and try to um, get new music uh, into there. We have been um, I've been commissioning some some new works, uh, new cello concertos because. After Shostakovich, Schumann, Sasson, Rokoko, Haydn, Elgar, um, we have to move on and do some other pieces. So I've been commissioning other works for cello and small chamber orchestra. And that is also quite interesting because most contemporary music is done with a big orchestra or with a conductor. So I always try to tell my composing colleagues, think of an ensemble who doesn't need a conductor where you can do it on by ourselves. So I try to, that there's a self-responsibility that people um, prepare and learn the things that we can do these things without having someone coming and telling how it's how it's going to be done. So, um, yeah, we are very much still in the same spirit, I think, what, and I want to keep the spirit that Adam has created. But, um, yeah, as a cellist, I try to get a little bit of a touch of uh, new music in there. Before we stop, there are just a few very quick questions. These probably won't be much long answers. Um, again, from the pupils at St. Mary's Music School. Um, some quite fun ones, actually. How do you manage to go on stage feeling 100% certain that the performance will go well and for it to continue to go well, even if there are slight slip-ups or happenings in the concert hall? 
Yeah, um, you, you you can never do. Uh, so every uh, you feel as a beginner uh, every time, and um, anything can happen. But I mean, I um, you have to you have to feel happy to perform, and you have to feel secure to perform. And there is no recipe really for that than just time. I mean, you need a lot of time to prepare for things. If I see I have to play a new piece for the first time, I think I'll be very uncomfortable to do that on stage. So I try to plan very much in the hand. If I play that piece for the first time there, I will have, just for my psychological state of mind, I have to perform it many other times in a stress situation. So I try to organize stress situations on my own by asking a friend and saying, hey, can I play that through for you a month before uh, the performance or a week before? And then I try to run things through 10 times, 15 times. Or when I play concerto for the first time with an orchestra, then I try to play it, organize a pianist and rehearse properly with a pianist to see what happens in the orchestra. To record myself is also very helpful. Now I've been doing some recordings and then you see, oh my God, is that really what you want? Am I really listening to myself? And if you go through that process and really work hard on for a long time, then you can, there's a certain moment when you can say, okay, anything can happen now on stage, but I did my best I can do for the preparation and I'm happy to go and, and see what happens. Um. Uh, another question, I suppose, slightly tied into that was when leading up to a concert, are there any particular preparations you do either in the jet? I suppose uh, I would add on to that sort of any mental preparations. Do you do you, are you, do you meditate or do you how, how do you get into the state of mind in order to be that free on stage that you've just described? Um, I try to work a lot in the days before and don't have so much information on the day of the concert. So I always try not to have um, emails and phone calls on the concert day and and shut down my phone or not react to things, try not to read and answer emails, sleep well, and often to, if I perform the cello, to play in the morning. So on uh, days when there's no general rehearsal in the morning, I still try to have maybe not a general rehearsal, but to, to play in the morning because it gives you a different feeling uh, starting the day with the instrument or starting with the score, then starting in the late afternoon, shortly before the concert. It's nice to do something in the morning, then you let it sleep. And um, and I also try not to eat uh, before a concert. It's also information and that the um, body and your brain has to digest. So I eat four or five hours before the concert uh, and then you play good concerts when you are a little bit hungry because um, then everything goes more into the brain than into your stomach. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a career for you as a personal trainer if, if you don't want to play the cello. Yes. That's <laughs> very good. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you all very much for tuning in to the very first Scottish Chamber Orchestra podcast episode with the wonderful Nicholas Alstedt. And I hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>